We're sisters, best friends, and authors on a mission to help you stoke your creative fire and live the life of your dreams. We believe that purpose fuels passion and that creativity is your secret weapon for mass construction. There's never been a better time to bless the world with your dream realized. You're listening to The Kate and Abby Show. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of The Kate and Abby Show. We're super thrilled to have you here listening today. This is going to be part two to the Q&A we did last week. So last week, we were answering some of you guys' questions that Abby put up a post on her YouTube channel and asked you guys to ask us any writing-related questions you might want to ask us, and we're going to answer them on this show. And we were overwhelmed with the response from you guys. Lots of great questions. So we've been working our way through those questions. A lot of them are going to be answered today in this part two episode, and some of them are also going to, we found really inspire us for future episodes. So some of the questions, because of how broad the question was, we're actually going to be doing some episodes in the future that are kind of inspired by your questions. So that's what we're digging into today. Yeah, I'm excited. And if you missed the last episode, which was part one of answering your questions, definitely check that out. It's going to be the episode right before this. So episode 12. But yeah, let's get into the questions. I know we have one from from uh it was part of the the, one of the questions from last time yeah so one of the questions from last time we missed it (laughs) yeah so uh sugar in my tea had asked two questions um and we only got to one of them and they actually commented on our last video shout out to you hi there uh we saw that you said can you please answer the second one um so we're gonna do that now because after i went back and read your second question I realized like, huh, actually, um, I felt like I really didn't have anything to to say in response to it last time, but then thinking about it more, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. And so um, me and Abs have talked about it since then, so we're going to answer that question now. And that question is how to um, insert, also how do you insert moments where nothing is really happening, but it's not boring? So essentially... um, you're saying here basically like wh- how do you write a part of a book part of a story where there's really not much going on there's really quote nothing going on and how do you make that not boring and i think for a lot of people they would think like you know okay non-boring filler right yeah. um and me and abby were discussing this and the topic of okay filler in books So if you're writing a scene or a part of the book where you feel that nothing is going on and you're wondering how to make it interesting, my answer would be, why is there nothing going on? Exactly. Um, So a lot of times I think, and chime in with your thoughts, Abby, um, I think we feel the need sometimes to like have space and filler go by to pace the story. But you really don't need that if the events are playing out how they actually would in reality. Yeah. Or you're just um, kind of uh, misunderstanding the way, the, the style of the book in that like, it's okay for like contemporaries and things like that to be like not always something thrilling and exciting happening. Like there's a difference between a meaningful scene where 
nothing like no high action or adventure is happening, but it's still meaningful because right. there's meaningful stuff happening. There's stuff progressing. Um, the plot and the internal conflict and all of that, the stuff underneath the plot, all of that is progressing, but that doesn't mean that it's boring. You right. Know? So it may appear like nothing much is happening, but something actually really is happening like underneath the surface. If not, and you're just like, I need to write filler, like you were saying, to make this like last longer, don't, just don't. Right. (laughs) So that that was a great question. Thank you for asking it. And I hope that that gives some clarity to it because I think that um, basically skip the filler and if you feel like nothing's happening, ask yourself why. And what could be happening to help your plot progress? And if you're spending time writing that, you know that that's making that's what's making the pacing, not so much the pauses where nothing's happening. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so that's the last I have on this list here. So I know you have some more questions printed yeah. out. So yeah, let's do. let's dive straight in those. Do you want me to read some? Do you want me to read one to you, or do you uh, want sure, to start? Yeah, you, off? Can, you can start. Okay. All right. So um, we have a question here. How do you write a pinch point with just one character perspective in a contemporary novel? Question mark. Question mark. Also, how do you write realistic banter? Okay, so let's do the first one first. Um, That's a really good question because when I talked about pinch points recently in a video, I did a whole video on pinch points and I talked about how there are basically three different ways to write or write suspense, not vicarious. Vicarious is one of them. To write suspense into a story. Um, One of them is vicarious, one is shared, and one is is the kind of suspense that's like... uh, like the first person suspense that you were talking about? Um, yeah. So there's like, well, there's like three and then there's one that's like more suited to films and stuff. That's oh, right. Like yeah. Just you being afraid of something without the characters. So I didn't really talk about that one, but I talked about shared suspense being like you and the character know what's happening, what's going to happen. Um, and basically, so I'm not even going to go into that because I'm sure you saw the video and it's a good explanation if you want to see more of an explanation on pinch points. But for a pinch point for a contemporary novel with one character, specifically, (laughs) that's actually a great way to use the suspense method of subtle clues, which I do talk about in in that video. And I think I used the example of Jane Eyre, which is a great literary example of this because it's all from Jane's perspective, but there are pinch points throughout that because there are clues to the disaster that's going to happen. There are clues to Bertha Mason's existence in the house. And you see all these little clues around in the story leading up to that moment, but you only see it from Jane's perspective. However, you catch all of those clues. So that's actually a perfect example, I think, of um, a pinch point. Pinch points from a from one character's perspective. Because all it really has to be is a clue going by, and the character may or may not see the clue, notice it, and be like, hmm, there's something going on here. And I think right. that's probably a good a good way to incorporate suspense into a first person limited story. 
Right, 100%. Okay, so second part of her question is, how do you write realistic banter? I'm going to serve that over to you, Katie, because you write great banter. Oh, thanks. You do too, <laughs> man. Like, I, I love writing banter. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's so much fun. And I think how you write realistic banter is the same way that I write realistic dialogue in that make it imperfect. A lot of times in literature, you see like very tidy sentences, very tidy speech being made by people. Um, our, our dialects, the way we talk to each other, our, the way our, we frame up our speech is very snatchy um, and incomplete, very imperfect. We're using wrong words sometimes. We're using half of a word. We're like cutting ourselves off. We're talking over each other. So I think... To sound realistic, you want to capture that, like the snatchiness, the the imperfections of the way we talk to each other. And in banter specifically, because typically banter, you have a quicker pace, a quicker pace happening with the exchange of dialogue. And it's probably also messier. And it's probably also pulling small bits and pieces from things that have happened in the past. So if it's like, let's say, you know, a sibling banter, okay, um, perhaps we've established certain little movements of the family and the way they do things and the way the siblings communicate using particular argo, and we're going to like pull little snatches from that and interject those things that we become familiar with those peculiarities of those characters, and we're going to just make it messy and snatchy. And to me, that's that sounds so realistic when you overhear like a group of, especially I'm thinking a, a kind of youthful vibe here because um, banter is usually kids or you know young adults or something. You don't hear like these perfect sentences being produced constantly. So I think keep it messy. Keep it, you know, kind of toppling over each other. That's a great answer. That's such good advice. Um, um, okay, so this one. The, yeah, that's nice. All one. right. So how do you write events that you yourself haven't gone through? Thanks for offering help. That's a great question. And I love this question because it, the answer is so simple. Don't write what you know. Write what you know emotionally. That's one of my favorite pieces of writing advice, and I don't even remember where I heard it or if I heard it or just made it up. But I love it so much because it's always worked for me, and it has always empowered me and encouraged me to write things that I haven't gone through experientially. Because really what you're going to end up wanting to write are all going to be things that you have not personally experienced, like except for just your everyday life. If you're like writing a contemporary or something, if you were writing just a, an autobiography, I'm sure you'd probably get pretty bored. I know I would get bored if I was just like writing, this is how my life, I mean, like I could just write a journal instead but you have to write something that you haven't experienced. But the thing that can really help you here, I think, is to find what is it about this thing that I do know? Because there are emotions and there are just emotional journeys that your characters are going to go on through this experience 
that you can relate to, that you have gone through. You have felt some of the same feelings. You have struggled with some of the same emotional and mental struggles as your characters. It doesn't matter if you're physically going through the physical things that they're going through. And so finding those similarities, finding those things that you can write emotionally, that's really all you need to know. And you can research the rest. You can research the details that you aren't sure about as far as like technical things go. But the thing that nobody can teach you is the emotional side of it. And that's where you really have to pull on your art and your talent and your ability to write and to tell a story and to tell it emotionally and to find what is it about this that I can relate to, even if it's just a feeling. Right. And I would also add to that, that like, you know, utilize the internet because yeah. it's like now, nowadays you have like no excuse really to not reach out to like anybody ever of any yeah, culture or background and ask questions. So do that. We have the internet, which is like the best environment ever with all the resources for an inquisitive writer. So freaking use it. <laughs> yes. 100%. I absolutely recommend that. And, and um, oh, just and just get carried away researching forever. <laughs> exactly. And I was going to add um also like if you're a fantasy writer or something, like you, you you're not going to experience those things. So yeah. the thing is is that like if you're writing from a um emotional standpoint, it's not going to matter if like oh, well what if it's not technical world building and uh, technical enough world building and etc etc etc. The thing that's really going to matter is like you're saying the emotional standpoint. Yeah. Use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Imagine what it would feel like to experience that. Okay, I'm going to read you one now, Kate. Okay. How can you make the tragic ending of one of the main characters satisfying for the reader? I tend to think the reader might be disappointed if a character they have spent a lot of time with dies tragically or falls from glory, but I feel it's important for the themes of my stories that a happy end isn't always promised. And I know that you don't have like necessarily a tragic ending in, in mind, but I'm thinking about the ending of Worlds Beneath, which right. is pretty dramatic and pretty tragic. And I won't give away what happens, but even though it's not like a, a typical tragedy, right. I, you wrote it so well. And I feel like you'd have something valuable to say about that. Awesome. Thanks. Well, I think that the main component is it has to matter to the story and have deeper meaning than the thing itself. Um, so like if you're watching a film that's like, you know, a, uh, a, a war happening in front of you and there's like all kinds of people dying and stuff, you're, you get the, the general overall tragedy of the thing itself, of the event, but you don't the, the ones you're going to feel the most loss for are the main characters that you've like spent all this time with them, getting to know them and stuff. Right. So that's what, when, you, when you're in the main character's skin and you're like, wow, I see how this is important to them. I see how this matters to them. And then something happens, something goes wrong or something happens to them like physically, then it's like so much more impactful because it's not just like this, you're not pulled back looking at like chaos unfolding because you can't feel, um, uh, you can't pay close attention to all that happening at once, but you can pay very close attention and care very deeply about one or two people. 
So if you can show me like, how is this significant to the story? And more importantly, what, like show me, get me attached to this main character. Show me why they're like championing this cause um, or going after what they're going after. And then I feel their losses so much more deeply when they, when they, when something happens, when they can't have it, when tragedy strikes, yeah. it, it makes me so much more closely related to what's happening rather than it being something where I feel more pulled back. And so for the ending of Worlds Beneath, it was something that happened to the, one of the main characters in the story. And because what happened was very deeply related to the overarching plot, it made sense for the plot, but it also made you be like, oh my gosh, I feel so deeply for that character because I've seen this struggle the whole time on a very personal level, level for that character. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I was I was shook when I finished reading Worlds Beneath, guys. If you haven't uh, read that, oh yeah, my gosh. That was a hard ending to write, uh, actually. I was left aghast and very sad. <laughs> well, there's book three. Yes, there's book three, and it's amazing. Okay, here's a question for you. Yes. Can multiple characters teach one lesson to a character? In brackets, like, can multiple characters be assigned under one subplot? Or would it be ideal slash required for one character to carry one subplot and vice versa? Can one subplot teach multiple characters at the same time? That's a good question. Um, I would say absolutely multiple characters can teach, like, the same lesson to the main character. Um, It's really, like, completely up to you and how many themes you want to uh, carry throughout the book because it could literally just be one theme and it could be all the supporting sub characters just kind of add to the theme and they help the main character to come to the realization that they come to. I've definitely used that plot device before. Uh, I don't know if you call it a plot device, but I've definitely done that before. Um, So yeah, it can really be anything you want. It can be multiple characters teach the same lesson, or it could be a different lesson for each character. The different sub-characters could go on journeys of their own, or they could some some of them could have the same journey. And this kind of plays into what we're talking about uh, in the Narnia episode of the podcast when we talked about uh, we dissected and discussed Narnia and how two of the really main characters in that have the same internal conflict. So they both kind of come to the same realization. They both kind of have the same uh, character arc, but they're both completely different. And so it's like different approaches to the same lesson and the same theme, which is, I think, actually a really dynamic and complex thing to do with your story because then it can show, it can just have this interesting opportunity for the reader to see how different people might learn the same lesson or help another person to learn the same lesson in different ways and maybe in unlikely ways. So yeah, absolutely explore and have fun with it. And it does not matter how many characters learn the same lesson or have different subplots of their own. Right. Um, There's one over here that I wanted to ask you. How do you keep yourself from self-doubt during brainstorming sessions and writing sessions? I feel like a lot of writers struggle with struggle yeah. with the self-doubt. <laughs> right. Well, first of all, I think 
don't be hard on yourself for doubting yourself because it's natural and it's normal and it happens to everyone. I mean, Michelangelo said, like, I'm not a painter. <laughs> so <laughs> while he was painting the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, while he was painting the Sistine Chapel. really, really frustrated. Yeah, he was like, really? Like, Why did anybody ask me to do this? Like, yeah. I'm a sculptor. Yeah. Not a painter. I, I'm not a painter. So, you know, and that was a letter home. He was like <laughs> saying to someone like, hey, I'm not a painter. <laughs> he was doubting like, himself. Yeah. For sure. So you're in good company. You're mm-hmm. in good company. So don't be, don't, don't let yourself get bent out of shape about it. What I do is I just really hype myself up. Uh, read a piece of your writing that you really love. Listen to a motivational speech. I really like motivational videos. Like I'll go on YouTube and look up like motivational speeches or whatever, mm, or a motivational yeah. video or a motivational commencement speech. Um, and I'll listen to that and I'll just get really pumped up. One that's been a constant for me is Neil Gaiman's speech, his, his commencement speech that he did several years back that I absolutely love and it never fails to get me all hyped. So find some things that like get you hyped or it might be talking to someone, talking to Abby always helps me a lot. So we bounce ideas off each other. And if I'm having doubts, I'll be like, oh, I'm feeling bummed over this. And Abby will be like, no, don't be like that. I'll be like, oh, well, I feel like that. Oh, I don't feel like that. And then we'll like, you know. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so try to figure out like what helps you get over it, what helps build your spirits up, and then just do that thing and have that fallback for yourself. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it does really help to have like a, a good writing buddy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I always bounce stuff off of you and, and come to you with my doubts and you help me out. So yeah, it's, it's really, really nice to have. But also... Yeah, the motivational videos. That's yeah, that's a and hey, you know, if you don't have, if you're like, oh, but I don't know anyone who's a writer. I don't have a writer buddy. I don't have a writer community. We started one called the Start Your Story Challenge. Yeah, Facebook.com slash group slash Start Your Story Challenge. Yeah, and uh, there's no secret knock. So feel free to join. Yeah, totally. Tons of impassioned writers in there encouraging each other. Like unbelievable. Such an encouraging, uplifting place. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, Kate and Abby, my question, is it possible to outline a trilogy using the three-act story structure? And is it a good idea to outline all three books before starting on the first one so you know what's happening? Haha. Ha. Any information about how to go about trilogies would be so helpful. You guys are so awesome. And thanks for answering our questions. You are so awesome. Yeah. Totally. So I'll grab the three act story structure part of it, and then you can give you yeah. Abby give your is two the resident about trilogies. Abby, <laughs> Abby is the resident three act story structure expert. <laughs> Although I haven't written a trilogy yet, so Katie's Katie one ups me in that area. However, yes, you can use the three act story structure to write a trilogy, and in fact, I really highly recommend it. Um, so I'm actually currently working on a perfecting a three act story structure for a trilogy template and uh, it's still a work in progress but the work in progress template is available in my resource hub on my patreon so if you're interested in that go to patreon.com slash abby emmons and check that out but when i finish it i'll release it to everybody and on my youtube channel so i'm excited about that but for now i would say that the basic outline here of the three books it's not a lot of people have this have a conception of um, the three-act story structure becoming a trilogy would just be making one book for each act. That's not what it is. Okay, you need three acts in each book. So nine acts in total, in case we forgot how to do second grade math for a second there. 
<laughs> nine acts in total, three acts per book. So each I was thinking, book like, I, follows, I didn't. I would never have thought, like, oh, okay, yeah. one act per book. I've had some that people would, say that. I'm that's like, interesting. And that would be that's just a really big slow book. pace. Yeah, too. Just, yeah, very slow pace. So you're gonna want three acts in each book. Um, and what I what I'm so far calling each book, which will help you to kind of just uh, get a general idea of what each book is going to be like, is that book one is the inception, book two is the journey, and book three is the battle. So it, it goes into customized for those that for that movement, customized story beats for each book. Um, but again, I'm still working on the template, so I haven't like released it completely yet, but I'm excited to release that. And as far as outlining ahead of time, don't feel the need to outline every all three books ahead of time because that is a lot of outlining. And then by the time you get to the third book, you may have changed so much in the first and second books during the writing process that you're like, oh my gosh, I have to re-outline the whole third book because so much has changed. So it can be more creatively freeing, I think, to not lock yourself into a complete outline for three whole books, like mm -hmm. before you even begin the first book. Right. Maybe try outlining one book at a time, I would recommend for starters. And then just if you want to outline more, then go ahead. But right. maybe just keep it vague to begin with. Yeah. And we also did an episode, I think it was like episode two of this show is um, mm. on plotters and pantsers. And yeah. it's really uh, insightful, I if I do say so myself, because Abby is um, a plotter and I am, um, I want to call myself a pantser as much as I would call myself a visionary. Um, but I don't plot anything is what I'm trying to say. So I think also what would factor in there is like, what do you normally do? Do you normally not plot anything? Are you like, yeah. I, I, I pants everything? Well, then just do that. Yeah. You know, and then if you get to a place where you're stuck and you're like, okay, I need to plan a few things out, then do that. But don't feel the need to like kind of go with whatever you normally do because people always look, I feel like so many people look at trilogies, like it's a completely different thing. Like, yeah. oh, I love writing books, but <gasps> I could never write a trilogy. All a trilogy is is three books about kind of the same thing. It doesn't even need, necessarily need to be about the same thing. Yeah. It might just be, you know, different people in the same world. It doesn't even matter. Just look at it as single books if that helps you kind of get your head around it better. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a really good piece of advice as well. And then if you look at it in single books, you can still use the three-act story structure and just like don't tie everything up at the end and have like a plot twist at the end that leads into the next book. And then you could make it more than three books. If you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can make it uh, 40 books. I mean, some of these series out there are massive. Yeah, yeah they really are. But that concludes our uh, second session of answering questions for now. And um, I, don't, I think we might answer some more in another episode, but we're going to do some more episodes in the future with answering questions and also taking, like Katie said in the beginning, taking a question, like making it a whole topic for a video because there are some of these questions in here that repeat and that indicates that a lot of you guys are curious about this topic in particular. So we're going to make like a whole episode about it so that we can really get in depth about it. Um, All right, and so, some of the questions are just the answers yeah. are, um, it's like a lot to get into. So it would right. be a lot more efficient to delve into it for a full episode. Exactly. Yeah. So super excited to get into those episodes, but thank you for listening to this one. If you would like to support the podcast and make sure that it always stays wonderfully ad and sponsorship free, don't you love that? You don't get interrupted with ads. Ugh. 
I hate it. I hate it when that happens. If you want to support the podcast and keep it ad-free, head on over to patreon.com slash the Kate and Abby show. There are different levels of support that you can show and get awesome benefits. So check out all the benefits there. And some one of the benefits in particular is a Patreon shout out. So we would like to shout out to our new patron this week, who is Rachel. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And we are so happy to have you on board and behind the scenes to get exclusive content from us and to DM us with your show requests. So yeah, check out the Patreon if you haven't seen it already, patreon.com slash the Kate and Abby show. But until uh, other than that, share the podcast with somebody who is also a writer who would dig it. Yeah, sharing and is one of the best ways yes. to give us a virtual hug. Yeah. Support the show by sharing. And uh, if you're on YouTube, like the video and comment below and tell us how you like this episode. And uh, if there's any questions that yeah. you have about writing that you're Follow like, oh, questions. this question has burned in my brain for years yes. and I'd love to hear this question answered on the show, we will definitely take note. Mm-hmm. For sure. And maybe even spin off and make it a topic for the yeah. show. You never know. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, stay stoked and rock on. <laughs>